Matthew 27. We're starting in verse 62. In the Pew Bibles, this is page 835. The next day, that is, after the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, Sir, we remember how that imposter said while he was still alive, After three days I will rise. Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people he has risen from the dead, and the last fraud will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, You have a guard of soldiers. Go, make it as secure as you can. So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings! And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. While they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, Tell people... His disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him... They worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, to the end of the age. This is God's word.
giving honor to God the Father who raised the Son of God from the dead and to the precious Holy Spirit. And with great thanks to the past trust that Pastor Gerald has shown unto me and Pastor Johnny and the elders are showing and allowing me to stand before you here today. Good morning. I'm so grateful to every one of you who have joined us on this Easter Sunday, the high point in every calendar year because of the remembrance of the greatest event in all of history. Thank you to those of you who are guests with us today. I'm especially glad that you are here among us. You look great out there in all of your Easter outfits and your bright colors there, and I suspect that you're going to have dinner with family later. In between, you have stopped in and shared your day with us, and we give thanks that you are here today. Uh, we are going to be in Matthew chapter 28 this morning, so if you're a guest with us, you need to leave that passage open that was just read to you by Lisa, and we'll walk our way through the passage discussing the issues that we have before us today. But before we do that, let us take a moment to pray. Our Father, we bless you again for granting us grace to come to your house to worship your mighty and matchless name. This is your goodness to us. Easter is a day we especially rejoice and celebrate you, the creator of all things, for your kindness in giving your very own son. Would you, in mercy, speak to us today would you open our minds and would you breathe life out of the words of the pages of Scripture before us? Would you help us to think deeply about the things taught in this passage, the things that will be said today? May you bring clarity of mind and conviction of heart. Would you be kind to reveal Jesus Christ? Thank you, Father, that the resurrection is our hope is our hope for the next life, is our hope right now. It is the hope we have when looking to you to heal Pastor Gerald, because one who raises the dead can do all things. Now, Father, speak to us and magnify the name of Jesus Christ in us, all around Oak Park, all around Chicagoland, throughout the world. And we'll give you thanks. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In the year 2019, it might be very difficult to believe that there are some people who still do not believe in the phenomenon known as global warming. When we've mentioned global warming, we are speaking of the increase of average air and open ocean temperatures due to, in large part, the creation of trapping heat gases as we power our modern lives. Although all evidence for global warming is before us, including climate change, melting glaciers, rising sea levels, and death of cloud forests, there are still many 
including some within the scientific community, who deny that there is a such thing as global warming and that the alarm over the implications of animal and food loss is really unnecessary. Not believing in global warming does not stop its reality. It only delays an all-out effort to reduce emissions and reverse the effects of greenhouse gases. Oh well, the deniers seem to be saying to the rest of us, so much for those shrinking polar caps that are visible to anyone with an eye. For the disbeliever, the issue is not necessarily that there is not evidence, but there are some people who just don't want to believe it because of the implications for what believing will do. Standards on emissions, building codes, and recycling are just some of the things affected by global warming that will have to change even more. To deny global warming keeps people from having to make changes to the way they live and think about the world. But to deny global warming is dangerous for all of us on the planet, and it's just not intellectually sound. Just as though there are those who ignore the evidence of the planet and what it presents for global warming, so too there are many who ignore the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We are speaking of one of the two greatest events in the history of the world, an event that launched the beginnings of global Christianity, an event without which our faith would be in vain. The start of skepticism over the resurrection did not begin in the modern era. Instead, much evidence was ignored even by those within near proximity to Jesus Christ. Yet in our passage today, it is what happened in response to people's skepticism over the resurrection that actually shows us what we must do in order to see the truth about the resurrection. Now, when I say see, you may be tempted to think that see is a synonym for believe. Well, not exactly. That's not what I mean here today. To see, or by seeing the truth of the resurrection, to see is to ask you to consider the evidences in this passage and to consider the plausibility of what is taught in this passage. The writer of Matthew will ask us to see four things today. Here's the first one. In order to see the truth about the resurrection, you cannot fear the miraculous, but you must embrace the truth. You cannot fear the miraculous, but you must embrace the truth. In our story, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, Mary the mother of Joseph, head out on the day after the Sabbath to see a buried Jesus. This means that they were not expecting a resurrection they were not expecting the words of Jesus about rising from the dead to come true. They are not expecting the miraculous event, even after encountering the miraculous many times over the course of Jesus' three-year earthly ministry. Seemingly, rising from the dead was just too much of a miracle for it to ever happen. 
However, they do meet up with the miraculous. They meet a perfectly timed earthquake propagated by the descent of an angel from the Lord coming from heaven above. That angel rolls away the stone placed over the tomb of Jesus. The presence of the angel is enough to remove the concerns the women may have had about guards at the tomb of Jesus as those very guards are immobilized by fear of the angel. The angel also announced the most important miracle, that the Jesus who was crucified unto his death is risen from the dead. The removal of the stone by the angel only allows those who wish to observe what has already taken place to verify that it has happened. The angel says to the woman, see, you can go and see the place where he lay. Since the time of David Hume, it has become commonplace to deny the probability of the miraculous. Hume, however, created an occurrence in which it was not likely for a miracle to happen. In contrast to Hume, philosopher Roger White notes, quote, the belief that the world was created and is continually controlled by an almighty being not only makes the occurrence of a miracle more probable, it provides one with an entirely different framework in which to consider the case. For when we are dealing with the actions of a personal agent and not merely the blind forces of nature, such features as the purpose and significance of the event become relevant. God has no difficulty in bringing about any event at all, but an understanding of the purpose that God might have in bringing about a miracle can make such an event far more believable, unquote. In other words, if instead of approaching miracles with the assumption that they do not or cannot occur, one approaches them with the assumption of God, miracles become quite probable. Matthew will go on, however, to go beyond probability and give us other evidences that he is writing a historical account. Matthew describes the day and time of the event after the Sabbath. He describes the appearance of the angel and the clothing that the angel is wearing, not just an in, a generic shining angel. He describes the posture of the guards and the very words of the angel to the women, including the exact location at which the disciples shall meet Jesus, a location repeated twice more in the passage. Galilee, Galilee, Galilee. What am I trying to say? What I'm trying to say is that the resurrection of Jesus is an event that took place in history. And it is something that God, the author of life, easily can do. It was something defended outside of Scripture in the writings of Ignatius of Antioch by as early as the year 120 in the Common Era. And by many 2nd and 3rd century writers after him, in their minds, what was true about Jesus 
was written exactly as it happened. Jesus is raised from the dead. You cannot fear the miraculous. Second, Matthew invites us to see the truth of the resurrection by telling us you must examine Jesus for yourself and see that his words agree with the truth. You must examine Jesus for yourself and see that his words agree with the truth. As both Marys and our story depart the angel's presence together in order to be obedient to his words, they run into Jesus himself. Jesus greets them with audible words, greetings, he says, and they touch him, taking hold of him by the feet. Now, it's likely that both Marys would have had people questioning them about Jesus' resurrection, asking them things such as, can you tell us what happened again? Or, now what did that angel look like? Or, what did the angel say? Or, did you actually go into the tomb and look? Or, most importantly, did you see him raised from the dead? Now, no longer depending upon the word of the angel alone, Mary and Mary, having grabbed the feet of Jesus and having heard him greet them, having touched his very body, could say with certainty, yes, we have heard him speak. We have seen him with our eyes. We have handled his flesh. And we can assure you that he is alive, for we have examined him for ourselves. It is very easy to dismiss Jesus and the resurrection if you only take the words of skeptics and never examine for yourself whether or not the claims of Jesus are true. These women instead find that Jesus says the same thing the angel said about not fearing. And they find that he says the same things about tell the brothers to meet him in Galilee and that he also will be there. They find his words to be true. If you are skeptical at all about the resurrection of Jesus or the person of Jesus Christ, May I challenge you to examine his claims for yourself before you dismiss him? Can you read the gospel according to Mark in full? And if you don't own a Bible in your house because that's not something you have, you are free to take the pew Bible with you. Elders, I'm sorry I didn't check with you on that beforehand, but I'm sure you won't mind if they take those Bibles to examine. Go ahead and take the Pew Bible, read the Gospel of Mark in full, and then afterwards, would you read the Gospel according to John, and you can go ahead and continue with Matthew and Luke, the four stories in our New Testament that give the record of Jesus's life here on earth, what he did in his earthly ministry, what he said and taught and calls us to be and do. Can you go ahead and read that first, please? And if that's not enough, can I please give you the titles of works that explain the historical, factual evidence for the person of Jesus and also works on the plausibility of the miraculous? Well, Pastor Eric, how will we get in touch with you? Well, go on Calvary Memorial's webpage, click on connect, then click on staff, and then on my face or my picture on there and an email link will open up for me. Okay, I'm going to do something even more dangerous here. You can text me. 
Now, my cell phone number is not on there, so, you know, you'll have to scribble it super fast, 301-873-1079 here. But, of course, if you didn't get that, you can go back and watch it on uh, the video. But I want you <laughs> to ask me your questions. If your question concerns Christianity and science, or if your question concerns Christianity and gender identity, Pastor Todd Wilson, our former pastor here and our friend who is sitting among us here today, has let me know that he would be glad to have a discussion or discussions with you over a cup of coffee or a meal. And Todd, since you're my friend, if you don't mind fielding all that hate mail on my global warming statement, I would appreciate that also because I know you relish in that kind of thing. In fact... Some of you want to know what we as believers do with the scientific evidence of observable realities. You, therefore, should be glad to look at the evidence for the person of Jesus and his resurrection. Come back to the next four sermons and examine what we are saying and how we treat you here. I think you will find something pleasurable, credible, and satisfying you will not, however, find perfection. Perfection is a standard too high for anyone. And perfection is the very thing that would turn you off from the truth. Instead, if you join us the next few weeks, what you will find is love from very imperfect people who are trusting Christ to give us his perfection based on his resurrection from the dead. Simon Greenleaf an early 19th century Harvard professor of law wrote, quote, all that Christianity asks of men is that they would be consistent with themselves, that they would treat its evidences as they treat the evidence of other things, and that they would try to judge its actors and witnesses as they deal with their fellow men when testifying to human affairs and actions in human tribunals. The result would be an undoubting conviction of their integrity, ability, and truth, unquote. Third, to see the truth of the resurrection, you must recognize lies created to deny the truth. Recognize lies created to deny the truth. So at the same time Mary and Mary are examining Jesus, some of the guards have managed to sneak away to tell the Jewish authorities that their worst nightmare has come true. They tell them everything about the earthquake, the angel, the moving of the stone, and the words of the angel. At this point, the Jewish leaders should see that the one they thought was an imposter is the real deal. However, instead of asking the guards, did you see him? They conspired together to cop a lie, pay off the guards with hush money, and promise to placate the governor if he hears about Jesus' resurrection and the empty tomb. Can I tell you how bad this lie is? I mean, this is a really bad lie. It is so bad, it actually points back to the truth. Here, here's what I mean. First, Roman soldiers did not fall asleep on the job. That meant certain death for them. 
The fact that they are reporting this and retaining their lives shows a problem with the report. They would never have gone in and said, oh, and by the way, we fell asleep. They would have lost their lives. Second, if they were asleep, they would not have known who stole the body. For you cannot have it both ways. You can't say we were asleep, and while we were sleeping, we noticed that the disciples stole the body. <laughs> Third, the disciples would have had to have been really, really quiet and really strong, and they would have had to have rolled the stone away without breaking the seal in order for the soldiers to wake up and be unsuspecting. In fact, they would have had to have been like cat burglars or like SEAL Team 6 to pull this off. Okay, guys, bring those depth charges. Shh. Okay, all right, now put that stone back. Make sure the SEAL looks exactly like it did before the guards went to sleep. Right. Fourth, they would have had to have kept the body hidden from everyone, and they would have had to have convinced the followers of Christ to go be zealous for Christ even though they knew he was still dead rather than alive. That is, they would have had to have given their lives for a lie knowingly. It is one thing to give your life for a lie unknowingly. It is another thing to go and give your life for a lie knowing that it is a lie. The Sanhedrin knew that the report of Christ was true and that the lie was not true. For if they did not think that the report was true, they could have said, go get that body so that we can show the whole world that he is a fake. When Matthew, the Jewish writer and former Jewish tax collector, writes that some of the Jewish rejection of Jesus is rooted in an early lie about his disciples stealing the body, you can be sure that denials of the resurrection start with lies. May I say to you, many of you wrestling with this passage, this sermon, and maybe with the whole concept of Christianity, that the issue of not liking Modern Christianity is your real problem. It's not Jesus you don't like. It's not God you don't think exists. Instead, lies and other things attending the Christian faith are the real concerns for you. See, intellectually speaking, you really don't have an answer for why there exists anything at all rather than nothing. You really don't have an answer when you say, well, the Big Bang, because Big Bangs do not just happen. Something must exist for a bang to happen, or someone must exist for a bang to happen. For nothing cannot create created things. What you do not like, however, are what appear to be scientifically butt-backward six-day creationists who deny the age of the universe and the process of evolution and who appear to be racist, bigoted against LGBTQ community people, oppressive toward women, judgmental of people of other faith, 
hypocrites and hypocritical when it comes to standards of righteousness as demonstrated by all of the sex abuse and trauma sufferers at the hands of the church and so-called Christian clergy and or parents. In fact, you might even be one of those who was in some forum rejected for your views on science or for your gender identity or orientation or mistreated by male Christian leadership or others who went to church every Sunday or abused by the practices of a church or members of churches. Let me say to you first in all sincerity as much as I can I apologize for those who have treated you in such a manner. Worldwide, we do have much house cleaning to do when it comes to the sins committed by those who have claimed to know Jesus. I'm sorry for how we have wronged you, oppressed you, how we have rejected you and even in some cases abused you as one who understands much about the experiences of trauma I especially hurt for those of you abused by a person who was a member of any church. I'm sorry for how we let them treat you and did not handle our own messes with the power of the resurrection that we claim to have. Second, let me also say that none of that behavior characterizes what Jesus demands of believers. He would have us love you and welcome your creativity, accept you, and protect you from harm. Just as you would not approve of our misdoings, neither will he approve of your or our misdoings. But as Rosaria Butterfield reminds us in her book, The Gospel Comes with a House Key, we do not always have to approve of everything another does in order to accept and love one another. You never approve of everything your best friends do, and you still accept them as your best friends. The resurrection does not require us to approve, but it does require us to accept. Third, what a few have done wrongly while naming the name of Jesus should not speak for the majority of believers who are not living hypocritically or promoting a life that would make it seem like Jesus still is dead or non-existent. The overwhelming majority of believers that I know are loving, kind, intellectually rational and sound, and embracing a people of all walks of life. We are not perfect at doing so, and so we have some blind spots. But again, I do not think you expect perfection from us. That's a standard no one can keep. So if you accept us with the acceptance you seem to want from those who name the name of Christ, we can stop being one of your barriers to faith in the one who was raised from the dead. So why don't you come and give us a try right here at Calvary Memorial, since you seem to be in proximity of us. If oppression or rejection is your concern, come talk to me right after this service. And it should be obvious why you should come talk to me if objections concern oppression, mistreatments of that sort.
But do not deny what is verifiably true because of your past experiences with us. Jesus did die. Jesus did rise again from the dead. And many witnesses have seen him. And that same Jesus will come back to judge the living and the dead as he takes his place in this world as Lord of all visibly before every one of us. So I need you, please, to try Jesus today. Trust Jesus today. Ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins, just as we who are believers have asked Jesus to forgive us of our sins. We started in the same place that you started. If you ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins, he will forgive you by grace the same way that he has forgiven every one of us. Fourth, and finally, to see the truth about the resurrection of Jesus upon meeting him, you then must go tell others the truth. Upon meeting him, you then must go tell others the truth. As the 11 disciples go to Galilee, to the mountain as directed by Jesus, and they see him, the text is very clear that they see him, some worship, but some even seeing Jesus still doubt that he is raised from the dead. Please note here another sign that the scriptures are not glosses or tales, for they paint stark reality. Some of the disciples initially doubt the resurrection, even with Jesus staring them in the face and doing what he said he would do, meeting them where he said he would meet them, and even having the report of the women still holding fast. They still are doubting. But Jesus then, with all authority in the universe in his hand, as Lord over life and over death, commissions those who know him to be resurrected to tell everyone else in the world that he has been raised from the dead and to show them how to live the life that he taught the disciples to live as recorded in the scriptures. He says, go to all nations, people everywhere in the world, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to do everything that I have commanded you. Jesus tells believers to baptize all people in the name of the Trinitarian God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That command excludes all other so-called gods from being viable options for eternal life after death. Of course, then, this raises the question of the exclusivity of the gospel and the arrogance of Christians. Is it, or isn't it, you might say, arrogant to take what is verifiably true and communicate it to everyone? Well, let's think about this. Here is a man who gave himself into the hands of evil people in order to be crucified so that the debt we all owe God for our sins might be paid for by his righteous acts. He then tells us to go tell others about him and invite them to have their debts paid for by him. There's nothing arrogant about that. For us to go and tell by his command is an act of love toward you and I and everybody else in the world. He's saying, I have the solution over here. I, like I believe everyone in here, 
hopes that one day we will find a cure to cancer, HIV, diabetes, Alzheimer's, and Parkinson's in our lifetime. Wouldn't that be a great day for all of us when we see the eradication of all these things across the globe, expanding the length and enjoyability of life for billions of people? Can you imagine no longer having to deal with diabetes, no longer having to be troubled about the long-term care of someone who is losing the mental capacities they previously had. No more debilitation of your muscles in there. No more word from doctors that there is nothing that we can do. If we found the cure for any one of these, we would go quickly into mass production of the cure and make it available for everyone. We would not withhold the news or the cure from anyone. And those who would try to do so would be seen as the most evil and vile people on the planet, and rightly so. Others who would try to extort money for a cure or weaponize a cure equally would be viewed as the scum of the earth. Only those fighting to see everyone who needs a cure to have the cure would be called righteous and they would be celebrated by everyone every time a ship docked or a plane landed with loads and loads of the cure. There would be people there shouting and waving and giving thanks for those who have found the cure and who are bringing the cure to them. It would be great news, maybe the second greatest news ever. Because the greatest news will remain the cure for the most de debilitating and desperate problem faced by all. And that is the problem of sin and our judgment of God for our sins. That greatest news is that Jesus Christ died for your sin and my sin. Jesus, through death, pays the death penalty due our sins before God because anyone who disobeys God should die before God as one who has rejected God. If you reject God, you reject being with him and all that he will provide, including life after death. Jesus is the only one who has shown that he has within him life over death. Jesus pays the penalty that would lead to our eternal death by dying in place of God-rejectors. He rises again from the dead, proving his ability to offer life past the dead to anyone else, proving that he can beat death forever and ever and ever. When you have this cure in hand, you must go and tell others about it. And when you have this cure that, that close to you, you would be wise to go and take that cure. That cure for you today is to believe on Jesus Christ, to trust Jesus Christ, to ask Jesus Christ to come into your life, to say to Jesus, I want to stop living my own life apart from you and doubting you and neglecting the evidence that is there before me and say to you that I depend on you alone, that you are my Lord as you are the Lord. So for you 
who are questioning the evidence the way people are questioning the shrinking of the polar caps. Please don't leave here today looking at the evidence and still doubting it. See the truth about the resurrection of Jesus. Trust in Jesus as your resurrected Lord. Leave here today with eternal life knowing that Jesus has saved you. Then you will have the greatest Easter you have ever had. Let us pray. Father, we bless you for your kindness. We thank you for your mercy. And we love you for sending your son toward us. The things here said today, Father, are familiar in the ears of we who know Christ by grace. But they may have been new, questionable, or even troubling for others. Would you clarify what was left unclear and make the sun known so that all who are here today all who will receive this by other digital means, that we all will be able to rejoice in that profound truth represented by the stone being rolled away and the words, he is not here, he is risen. Thank you for your love toward us today in Jesus. It's in his name we pray, amen.